0: This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Welcome in, everyone. I'm Randy Moore. Along with Andy Payton, I'm Pastor Randy, and he's Pastor Andy. Good morning, Pastor Andy. Good morning, Randy. It's good to be with you. Yeah, we are approaching the second Sunday in Advent, and uh, let's jump right in and talk about the condition of our souls. I was thinking about it as I was driving over, and this is a challenging time for pastors, right? The, the season gets so busy. I mean, the cultural observance of, of Christmas is so, so busy, and then even in the church, it is so, so busy. And this can happen on a regular Sunday where we are so involved in presenting worship that we find it hard to worship, and so now's the time we really have to dial in.
1: We, yeah, you have to be very intentional about creating some space for God's light and presence to shine through. If not, you're just going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, and uh, you might not even think about Jesus. Right, <laughs> and and you 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 get done with the whole process of Advent, and it's like, well, what just happened? And, right. And uh, yeah. what
0: did it do for our souls, right, right? right? So yes, yeah. when I came through the door and I always, I love uh, when I arrive here because there's so much life that's mm-hmm. happening in this church and so much activity, but especially now bumped into one of our members who's about to go down and start working on the cookies. And so just one more, you know, activity that's going on. And It's all good. Mm-hmm. It's all good. We just have to tap into the deeper meaning of it all.
1: Yes. I mean, just don't forget about, the main thing I, I mean that almost sounds cliche i know but it's just yeah. the truth don't forget about the the love that makes this season what it is and the presence that makes this season what it is yes there
0: there is every opportunity for our souls to prosper during mm-hmm. this time if we if we really play it close attention to it. Okay, we are continuing in your sermon series on the 25 articles of religion. And again, we like to be mindful of those who might be joining us for the first time or new to the podcast that what we would typically do is we would really sort of break down the text that's been used for the sermon on a particular Sunday. Um, Because uh, these articles clearly texts are involved, but we don't have a specific text each week. We have an article. And so we're doing these 25 articles of religion, and um, we're already up to, uh, I shouldn't say already because it seems like we've been at it for a while, but we are to article number 18 of the Lord's Supper. And before we get into that, uh, Andy, I'll let you just give a brief explanation of what the articles are.
1: Yeah, the Articles of Religion are John Wesley's doctrines, basically, that he sent to the people called Methodists in the seventeen and 1700s as, as the Methodist movement was moving to America. And the way that we're using them, though, is like a roadmap for our own interaction and relationship with God. And so we look at these ancient articles, these old articles, think about what is the timeless truth that they convey to us. And um, hopefully find a way to tune in to the grace and the presence of God in our lives.
0: Yeah, these articles are a doctrinal standard. Mm-hmm. They're they're fixed in essence. And even though they're in, they're rather, they're not quite ancient, but they're old. And so bringing them up to date without changing them, we're not trying to change them at all. We're just trying to bring them up to date or at least use language to where they can be applied today, as you said, to find that truth that is, is inside all of that.
1: Yeah, I think I think it would be fair to say we're trying not to get bogged down in the details. We're using them as a means and not an end. I think what could happen easily is we we start to try to dissect, well, this word or that word, or, and you just lose it. Again, just kind of like Advent, you get so filled <laughs> up with that debate that you kind of miss the bigger picture of what we're trying to do here in terms of our own spiritual journey. Okay, so we're
0: up to uh, of the Lord's Supper, and, and at least this is one of the twenty-five articles, and there are several of them. But some of them, it's like, whoops, you know, you really do need to explain uh, the background, what's all about. But this one, most people can can connect with. I mean, this is uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, Holy Communion, uh, the Eucharist, and so um, I'm going to read the description. And um, in the service on Sunday, we stopped short of reading the entire article, but I'll go ahead and read it whether we get to it or, or not during the podcast. So here's the description of Article 18 of the Lord's Supper. The Supper of the Lord is not only a sign of the love that Christians ought to have among themselves one to another, but rather is a sacrament of our redemption by Christ's death insomuch that to such as rightly, worthily, and with faith receive the same, the bread which we break is a partaking of the body of Christ, and likewise the cup of blessing is a partaking of the blood of Christ. Transubstantiation, or the change of the substance of bread and wine in the supper of our Lord, cannot be proved by holy writ, but is repugnant to the plain words of Scripture, overthroweth the nature of a sacrament, and hath given occasion to many superstitions. The body of Christ is given, taken, and eaten in the supper only after a heavenly and spiritual manner, and the mean whereby the body of Christ is received and eaten is the supper, is faith. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper was not by Christ's ordinance reserved, carried about, lifted up, or worshipped. And so the reason why I mentioned that we'd stopped short uh, Sunday is because you didn't go there in terms of transubstantiation, but it's in there, so I thought I would read it. And it's probably a good thing to point out that these, again, these are Reformation documents. This came out of the Church of England. There was the English Reformation uh, alongside the Continental Reformation. And so a lot of these are are tackling differences with the Roman Catholic Church, and and here this is going on. So while these are going to stay here, you know, this isn't such a big issue with us today. I think we've come to a realization that when we say that that Jesus is present in communion, um, we can believe that without going so far as to agree with transubstantiation, even though we're not that far off.
1: Yeah, we're close to yeah. transubstantiation. Yeah. Um, if you look very closely at this article itself, it it does point into the direction of, this is much more than just a memorial. It's much more than just a symbol. This is a channel, a means of God's grace to stir up within us a sense of God's presence, God's love. And uh, in order for that to happen, though, it has to be activated through faith, really, is kind of what it says. And, and so I feel like we're, we're just almost Catholic, really, in terms of what we think of when we think of the sacraments. We're not quite there. Um, I just don't think we're comfortable with saying that that's literally the body, the blood of Christ. But we would say that's literally a way— that we can enter into the grace the love and presence of god enter into that communion with god um and so yeah i i i get it that it's it's got its context but it it does kind of tell us hey this is much more than just some sort of ritual yeah
0: yeah in your sermon on Sunday, uh, you opened with a story, which is a familiar story because I've heard, it, I've heard it before, but it's about a little girl going up for communion, and she, of course she gets a little bit piece of bread, and she goes, I want more, mm-hmm. which, and what I thought about was that um, in the uh, back in the day, uh, Holy Communion, th- the supper, uh, was a meal. It, it was an actual meal, mm-hmm. and so today we get just that little morsel, and sometimes it doesn't seem like it's enough, and, and we really do want more. Yeah. Oh, and
1: sometimes it doesn't taste good. Let's be honest. Um, those little wafers sometimes right. that we use, and just different things we do. We've ritualized what used to be a potluck, right? In Jesus' memory, and in that gathering of the the bread and the cup, it was much more than just a potluck to them. To be clear, um, but yeah, we do have a sense like uh, we go forward. We go to worship. We're part of the church, and I think at some point. In any of our lives, as we participate in the life of the church or communion, we find ourselves thinking, man, I I feel like I should be getting more from this. I, I feel like there should be more happening, and, and it's a very common response. Yeah,
0: yeah. You called Holy Communion the
1: central act of worship. It says it all. It, it really does. It, it says it all when we're talking about what is the gospel, what are we trying to accomplish, what's the the end that we're striving for, and it's communion, 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 communion with God. That's it. That's where we're going. That's what the point is. And, and of course, we have to reclaim that again and again. And so really, it is the central act. We, we come together as the body of Christ. We commune um, around the table. We seek to enter into union to use the language of the faith, the union with the presence of the living Christ and living God. And so, yeah, it is it, it is it in a nutshell. And if you take a look at the liturgy, you take a look at what happens with the pastor say over, um, over the table, whenever we get to that point of communion, um, you do find it's, it's speaking to us what we should become.
0: Yeah. So it's one of the two sacraments in the Protestant tradition. Uh, Two weeks ago, we had the sacraments as an article of religion. Last week, we had baptism. And and you described that as um, uh, baptism really represents who we are as God's chosen people. That's what baptism says. And then communion, you said, um, it's when we become what we already are.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. To connect that with some of the Methodist lingo, baptism is the the sign and the sacrament of what we call a justifying grace. God loves us just as we are. Doesn't matter how we feel. Doesn't matter necessarily what we believe. Doesn't matter the questions we have, all that stuff. God loves us just as we are. And in baptism, that justifying grace, we call it, is claimed. And the sacrament of communion, though, that's more like the sanctifying part of it, the transforming part of that grace. And so um, we move from the chosenness of our baptism to the communion. Offered in the Lord's table, and basically we become aware and awake to the life-giving and loving presence of God. And so, boy, they just—I mean, theologically, they're just perfect in terms of they're like two sides of the one coin that we call salvation. They're two sides of the one coin that we call grace or faith, and all those other the labels that we throw at it. It's like just ritually perfect if yeah. you if you understand what they're conveying. Yeah. Having said that,
0: this came up in my Sunday school class on Sunday. We started talking about why is communion open in in the Methodist church. And part of that is because Wesley saw Holy Communion, the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist as a converting ordinance. Whereas much of Christianity, uh, uh, Holy Communion was for... Christians. It was for the baptized. It was for the membership. But Wesley saw something in it to where, no, this could be something could actually convert someone where that justification happens. And so that's one of the reasons why our communion is open to everyone, sinners, uh, even. You know, in, in many traditions, you have to sort of uh, ask for forgiveness of your sins and sort of come to the table cleansed, not in the Methodist tradition. You might come and be converted through this sacrament.
1: Yeah. It, I mean, I'm pretty sure God has not denied God's self to anyone <laughs> by virtue of being created. God is with them. Yeah. So who are we? Who gives us the right yeah. to deny God's table to somebody that God has chosen to love into existence? Now, they might not be aware of that yet, and that's why we would offer it to them. And in the end, we talk about who's worthy, who's unworthy. Really, none of us are worthy. None of us. Right. And so, yeah, the, the exclusion of people from the Lord's table is so symbolic of the tendency we have to become exclusive with our faith. Mm-hmm. The way we ritualize that out, the way that lives out in some of Christianity, it is this us and them business, and it just misses. It just, oh, it's the worst. (laughs) It misses the gospel. That is why it is a joyous
0: occasion. Um, I notice, of course, when we are celebrating communion and serving the elements, that people will come and you can tell that they're observing it as the memorial that it is. That's an aspect of it others come, man, they they just can't keep the smile off their face. I believe it is. It's all of this, but it is a joyous occasion. This idea that even I, even the sinner that I am can come and
1: receive the body and the blood. It's amazing. I'm unworthy for the gift of life I've been given. I'm unworthy of all of this, being here, being a part of that. Yeah. And, And The language of the great, we call it the great Thanksgiving. That's the language we use for it. Think about that. This is meant to be a a celebration, an act of gratitude, a a proclamation over the gift of life. We come to God and we say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your body, for your blood, for giving yourself unto us. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah.
0: In your sermon, uh, you broke it down into really two parts. Uh, the first, you talked about the history, and then you talked about the liturgy. And this was really the bulk of the way you approached your sermon was to go through the liturgy and and explain it as you went through it. But biblically, you talked about these simple elements. Uh, last week, the simple element of water, and, and this week, the simple
1: element of of, of bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, bread's critic, uh, central to the Bible and how it tells the story of God's presence, and we I connected that some with the Hebrew people as they moved from Egypt to the Promised Land, and then, of course, went into the life of Jesus, who taught us to pray, uh, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus multiplied loaves, and then at the end, he invited the disciples to remember him through the breaking of bread, and so bread is a central sim- symbol in terms of what it conveys in that it speaks to God's sustaining presence within our lives, and so Uh, I just wanted to make note of those kinds of things before we actually jumped into the sacrament. Uh, Overall, though, um, the bread of our communion, as I've kind of mentioned, is meant to stir within us that sense of God's presence. It invites us into what the New Testament describes as koinonia. And uh, that's actually, that word appears in, as far as I can tell, it's the first mention of communion, which comes from the writings of Paul. He says, don't you realize the sharing in the body? I mean the sharing of the bread is sharing in the body of Christ and that word uh that he uses for sharing is koinonia. A lot of times when uh we as Christians have used that word we'll connect it to like fellowship or community, people getting together, but there was another layer to it. Uh for Paul, uh koinonia was about communing first with God which led to a communing and community with other people. And so that's kind of what communion, holy communion, is pointing to and inviting us to.
0: Yeah, and there's a Koinonia Sunday School class here. At, Interestingly the, enough, yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. Uh, it, it, it over the years, it's my understanding, one of my best friends, Jim Coy, was uh, he was the leader of that group for a long, long time. It was almost a church within a church.
1: It was, yeah, in its day, <laughs> uh, the Koinonia class at Methodist Temple, um, they had like 50 people showing up, and they had music, and and I think uh, old Coy got up and gave a little. He gave a little homilies, what he did. And, and yeah, it was like yeah. a little church. Yeah. yeah. That's,
0: yeah. A, that's a great, great word. Uh, then you walked us through the liturgy of Holy Communion. And the first response, the Lord be with you and also with you. Lift up your hearts. The pastor at this point may lift that. Oh, now I'm reading the instructions off if I just copy and pasted this in. But um, there's some pastor instructions there. But uh, we lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and our praise.
1: So... The first response that we invite people to join in when we go to the sacrament and go to the table basically sets the intent for the whole thing. Um, This is a moment in which we seek to become present to the presence of God. It's much more than a memorial. Um, It's much more than just a foretaste into the future. It's about being present to the presence that's with us right now. Now, when we're talking about God, I think it always has to be at least acknowledged. God's a mystery. Any word or label or idea that we use for God is unlike God, in a sense, because there's no way we can capture God in that way. And I always want to come humbly when we're talking about these things. One of the, I think, the unfortunate things that can begin to happen is we mistake the voice of our ego for something absolute, and that certainly can happen with God. And so we say this very humbly is what I'm trying to get at, and uh, and the, this idea of mystery, though, I find it liberating as a pastor, Randy. I mean, yeah, I'm going to fall short in explaining God every time I preach. I'm going to fall short in mm-hmm. explaining God, and but that doesn't make God not real. This is this is an opportunity to experience a mystery that's very real, but yet beyond our comprehension.
0: And you told the story about how Thomas Merton attempted to explain the the mystery.
1: Yeah, Merton, uh, and if the listeners don't know who Merton is, he's a Catholic monk, lived in the mid-20th century. Uh, he wrote a book about his spiritual journey. I think it was in the 1950s when he wrote it. It became a New York Times bestseller. It was called The Seven-Storied Mountain, um, which that title actually, side note here, I think that comes from uh, Teresa of Avila's like, uh, interior ca- interior castle. Okay. And and that she uses like an interior castle that we climb in terms of our own spiritual journey as we grow seven stories and that's it's a seven-story mountain yeah that's where that's <laughs> where he gets that but anyway okay. uh it became a new york times bestseller back in the day and people started coming to merton and asking you know show me the way show me more and and one person that came was from new york was a ballet dancer who was basically like an agnostic really yeah. he didn't know uh, what he thought about all this stuff and and so the monks got together though and of course they welcomed this ballet dancer into their community and and let the, let him participate with them. And uh, when it came time for communion and mass, the ballet dancer goes to Merton and says, "Hey, I don't get it. This is weird. You know, <laughs> this body and blood business. What's going on? You know, these words that you're using. That's weird." And and uh, Merton replied to him and says, "Hey, look. Really, what this is about is it's entering into the ballet of of life. It's entering into the dance of life. It's it's an invitation to enter into the song that God is singing." Uh, throughout all of creation. And I find that just a helpful way of thinking about not only communion, but just the spiritual journey in general. Like, what are we doing here? Well, we're entering into this song that God's singing uh, in the midst of our lives. And we're trying to harmonize with it and live our lives according to it, what it's trying to do and within us. And yeah. And to yeah.
0: meet somebody in their own experience as a ballet dancer, a ballet dancer would see that that dance is more than just prancing around on a stage. There's an interpretation of, of life that's happening there. I'm sure mm-hmm. it was very helpful.
1: It's poetic. It's it's beautiful, but yet it takes discipline. I think you you talk to any ballet dancer from New York <laughs> city today, they're going to tell you they spent hours yes. of, of working at what they're trying to do. And so while it looks like something effortless is happening up on that stage, um it's not it, it takes a lot of discipline
0: so we come to the second response in the holy communion liturgy and a lot of times it's sung holy 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 and this was the high point of the sermon for me uh, heaven and earth is full of your glory heaven and earth is full of your glory we can understand how there could be some glory in heaven uh we anticipate you know maybe a glory
1: in heaven but glory on earth, too. Absolutely. I, I mean, and this language is taken straight out of the prophet Isaiah. Um, prophet yeah. Isaiah chapter 6, I believe, is where these words are taken from. And the story goes, Isaiah goes into the temple of the Lord in the year King Uzziah died. So I that's the, that's the storyline behind this song. So it's in the midst of a prophet's grief. Yeah. He, he goes to pray and God's presence begins to shine through. And he has a, a mystical encounter with God, Isaiah does and says, Oh my gosh, the whole earth is full of God's glory shining through. And we didn't see it. And we didn't see it. And boy, it's, it it just conveys that the tendency we all have to we're walking through this miraculous universe that God has spoken into existence. And God's light and glory are always shining through, and we just don't see it. Um, yeah.
0: You said we don't see it because because of sin, um, but you need to go on and talk about what we're talking about. We're talking about sin.
1: Yeah, um, sin is a state of being. Uh, before it's a conscious choice. It's always a, under. It's classically always been understood as, as a state of being. I, I'm not just going rogue here when I said what I right. said. Yeah. Um, uh, unfortunately, the word sin has been used to, to beat people up, put people down, control people, put them in this box of submission around these certain behaviors. Um, but that really misses the bigger point of what sin is really pointing to, in that sin is this state of being, this estrangement, this exile that happens when we, as human beings who have been created in the image of God— we forget about the mystery of God's presence. And so basically, we're we're kind of walking through this world in a state of homelessness. Or, you know, we what's wrong? Like, like, why do I not feel at home? And it's because you forgot your home, you forgot the presence that made you. And that's sin. That's sin. And it comes out uh, when we're we're living in that state of sin, it, it it's expressed in many different ways, but overall. Basically, what happens is you start looking to the created world around you. We all do this, and we want it to fulfill this deep and longing, this longing desire, this desire within our heart. We we look to the world to fix that desire, and that's that's classic. Classically speaking, when we worship the created like it's the creator, which is what's really what's happening, that's idolatry, and and it always ends poorly. When we worship the created as if it's the creator, um, we we get mad and we get angry. Uh, we lust for more. We become greedy and sometimes even violent because we get so frustrated. I keep doing this. Why is it not fixing it? Why is it not going away? And um,
0: yeah. You said that people uh, don't love that well. And that's not being overly critical of people of, of the children of God, but just like we, you and I, are in the state of sin, everyone else is in that state state of sin to some degree, and so we can only be so helpful to one another, and we and we and we come up short.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We're limited. Yeah, we're limited. Yeah, and and what happens, especially in a person's life, is there's people in our lives that we expect them to love us the most and they fall short of it. And that hurts. It hits deep. It's, it could be a parent, a, a grandparent for a lot of folks. It's the church. I came to this place that, Hey, you're supposed to be good at loving and you're not good at loving, you know? <laughs> right. And, and it, it's like, it's got this traumatic effect. And, and then this pain starts to exist within our lives. And if we're not careful, we get stuck in it and we get, I think of a way to describe it. It's like we get, we start becoming led by that pain. And we become cynical and angry and different and shut down. And back to Isaiah's song, the earth no longer shines with the glory. Our lives never shine with the glory, don't shine with the glory anymore. And the older you get, it, the temptation becomes even greater, I think, because you get weighed down from all these experiences. Yeah. So the solution is forgiveness. hmm yeah, that's the the gospel's invitation. Uh, the world will tell us to fight. Or uh, another way that the world invites us to respond is we flight. And flight comes through seeking these various pleasure cruises that our society likes to offer us. Um, but the gospel's invitation to this pain is to forgive it. And there's different ways to understand what forgive means. But I think a helpful way to think about forgiveness in this context would be We forgive people for not being God. We forgive people for not being able to love us the way only God can love us. And once we do that, then we're set free. Uh, uh, To see God's light shining through them, really, we're able to receive their limited love as an echo of the unlimited love of God. That's what happens when we forgive people. And uh, I don't know of any other way that I can love people, really, than through the lens of forgiveness. Hey, I'm going to... Hey, Randy, you're imperfect. I'm going to love you. I'm going to forgive you for not being God. And, and therefore, I can welcome those signs of love that come through you to me. And, and then likewise, you know, if you're able to forgive me, then you're able to welcome those signs of God's love for me to you. And, and that's the basis of, of fellowship and communion and
0: community. And so we proclaim the mystery of faith, which is in the third response. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again.
1: Yeah. And then we're back to this unlimited love. Then what is the mystery of faith? God's love is so vast. It transcends even death. That's it. That's it. That, that longing for love. that We go searching for it. It's real and it's available. And we claim it through faith and it's embodied in Christ. It's given in Christ and it's, it's there and it's real. And, uh, we can become aware of that love, awake to that love, which is what the spiritual journey is all about. Mm-hmm.
0: And you describe that as as communion. And then the final response is Amen. Mm-hmm. Which means so be it.
1: So be it. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the question becomes then how do I know if I'm growing in that love really? It's one thing to say it in my head, but how does it become a part of my lived experience? And and we're back to the child who says, I want more. How do we get to that place of more? Uh, what happens? And uh, I've spent the last five years, six years of my life trying to figure out how to describe that and find it in my own life. But if I could just summarize what begins to happen as we go to the table again and again, as we open ourselves to the presence again and again, what begins to happen is our lives begin internally. Internally, our lives begin to shine mm-hmm. forth with the light that the Advent wreath embodies. Mm-hmm. The Advent wreath is perfect. Right. We're back to Advent now. Increasing light. Yeah, yeah an increasing light. And what is that light? What is it like? It's hope. It's it's joy. It's peace. It's love. And uh, I don't want to go on a tangent here, but <laughs> I, all I will say is uh, spiritual hope is not what you think it is. Spiritual joy is not what you think it is. Spiritual love is not what we think it is. It's not what we think it is. And uh, I hope to spend some time talking about that. What is it? Mm -hmm. And it's something that comes about as we habitually become aware of God's love in our life on a day-to-day basis which is why Wesley would talk about the duty of constant communion, for example. You know, people say, well, hey, I don't want to go to the table that much. It's going to lose its meaning over my life. No, no. The duty is constant communion. We're trying to, and why do we do constant communion? Because we're trying to grow in our journey in such a way that we habitually are aware of God's presence. Wherever we go, whatever we're doing, God's love is there with me. God's there with me. I'm one with God, one with one another, one in ministry, God's there with me, never alone. We're getting into the mystery, the mystical kind of layer of communion. But unless we talk about this, unless we deal with this, what we're trying to get to, we miss it. We miss it. Maybe you'll talk about it this Sunday
0: because I'm very interesting on how you'll handle Article 19 because this just is nothing but uh, addressing Roman Catholic thought. So Article 19, of both kinds, the cup of the Lord is not to be denied to the lay people, for both the parts of the Lord's Supper by Christ's ordinance and commandment ought to be administered to all Christians alike. So this is the part of the podcast where we look forward briefly to this Sunday in the sermon.
1: Yeah, um, it's a curious practice, and uh, it's this idea that what this article points to was this this idea and this practice that was happening in the middle ages where uh, the lay people could only receive the bread but not the cup that they weren't holy enough they weren't worthy enough to go and receive the cup that was the idea yeah. um, but i think something else is going on here this that practice points to an issue that we've had we all have and that is we try to hide parts of ourselves from god's presence as we enter into the journey of faith you know we think we've got it we're there but as we really start to grow, we begin to realize, oh, there's parts of us that we're not really in full communion yet. We've only received part of it. It's mm-hmm. we're hiding ourselves from God's presence. And I'm talk about so how do we how do we move out of the shadows? How do we move out of the hiding and and enter fully into God's presence? That's that's kind of what I want to get at in the sermon this week. And and just a quick application of what it looks like on our day-to-day basis. If we're really coming out of the shadows and we're entering fully into God's presence, one of the things that will begin to happen is we will become inclusive of other people, not in spite of our faith, but because of our faith. The flip side is also true. When we're living in the shadows, we will become exclusive because of that faith. And it always manifests in that way. And we start to exclude people because we believe in exclusive God But then when we grow into a God of inclusive love, we begin to include people. And so uh, just as a practical way of thinking about it, that's what begins to happen.
0: Very good. Looking forward to this Sunday and Article 19 of both kinds as Pastor Andy continues his sermon series on the 25 articles of religion. It'll also be the second Sunday in Advent. And so... To all you listeners, thanks for listening to the podcast. Go to the Methodist Temple website. There's all sorts of activities going on in the life of the church, and we don't want to spell those out here. But you can go to the website, and we would invite you uh, to take advantage of, of all of those things that are that are going on in the life of the church. And we pray um, that this season of Advent for you would be meaningful, and you wouldn't just get swept away in the in the Christmas that the culture celebrates, as wonderful as that is. But that you will take time. To to commune with God and to commune with each other. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.